In each episode, we talk about fine-tuning your life, your team, or your business. But at the heart of any company's performance is the technology. It's the website when your customers go online to schedule a plumber for emergency home repairs. It's the behind-the-scenes system that schedules and tracks your company's deliveries to key suppliers. Well, Architect's team of experts helps companies like yours transform and succeed using the power of modern software. In fact, Microsoft just gave them a prestigious Global Partner of the Year award, and that says something. Reach out to them at architect.ca to hear what they've built for companies just like yours. That's A-R-C-H-I-T-E-C-H dot C-A. Are you looking to fine-tune? Whether for your business, your job, your team, or yourself, in each episode, we will be discussing different ideas and opinions using real-world examples to help you see opportunities, innovate, and succeed. Hi, it's Corby Fine, and welcome to Fine-Tune. So with me today is Sharon Zohar, who I actually first met in a playground picking up or dropping off, I can't remember, our kids many, many years ago in preschool of all things. And we happened to meet and many, many years went by. And I think I was sitting at a, a conference one day or it was a Google thing and I, I feel this hand on my shoulder and I look at this face and I had no idea who she was, but it was Sharon and she reintroduced herself. So Sharon, welcome. Welcome to the podcast today. <laughs> Thanks so much, Corby. I remember that time too. Both times. <laughs> the meeting and the re-meeting. So I asked Sharon to have a conversation with me today because I find what she's doing really, really interesting. So Sharon is herself a, a serial entrepreneur. She's an investor. I don't want to age you, but the fact that we have kids about the same, it's too late. Cat's out of the bag. But you know, 20 years of experience in founding businesses, investing in other people's startups, advising all kinds of entrepreneurs, and operating businesses, digital media, internet technology, you know, very, very similar background and passions of mine as well. And, you know, Sharon, through conversation, it's incredibly obvious that she's just driven by her passion to help identify these new innovations, new technologies, and really new business models that can potentially disrupt traditional markets. And I know a lot of entrepreneurs talk about that, but I think, you know, Sharon's got some really good experience and some use cases, which we'll talk about. But what's most interesting and, and why, Sharon, I've got you here today is the big push. And you are the, the founder and CEO of the big push, which I'll frame it in my way and then maybe you can explain it. Sure. A, a business accelerator for women entrepreneurs, for female entrepreneurs. And you've developed this really unique service for equity model, which I'd love to hear more about, dedicated to helping accelerate uh, the growth of female-led and women-led startups to prepare them to get to that point where they can go to market and be successful in fundraising that Series A and beyond. And you've got a, a great group of professionals working with you as advisors and full-time in the business across all the facets of operations. So I'd love to hear more about it. And Sharon, welcome. And again, thanks for taking the time to be with me today. Yeah, it's great. It's a pleasure being here. So why don't you start off, you know, the big push, it, it's like, is that a business? Is it a slogan? Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about what it is? Sure. The big push, as you said, it's a business accelerator for women entrepreneurs. 
and it is in the business of helping scale women-led businesses, early stage startups. And how we really go about it is effectively bringing together a team of experts, business experts and all levers of business from marketing to finance to strategy, product, whatever the gap is for early stage companies, and really work with them to build out custom growth plans to help them get through those uh, stages and, and scale their business. And then effectively really bridge the funding gap that you know we'll be talking about that is really part and parcel of a lot of those challenges that women entrepreneurs face. So you talk a lot about leveling the playing field. Can you give some explanation as to what that means to you when you think about the playing field of entrepreneurs, particularly from a a gender perspective? Yeah, I mean, leveling the playing field really means like, you know, having the same opportunities, having the same the same doors open for you. And in my experience as an entrepreneur, as you mentioned, a seasoned one at that. Um, I've had many experiences where the challenges were sort of stacked up against me in that mostly in terms of walking into investor rooms. And I've had the experience where, you know, go into investor rooms and people across the table are pretty much older white men uh, listening to you pitch and, and really not translating a lot of what I was trying to get across. And in the early stages, I thought, well, maybe it's just me. Maybe it just it doesn't resonate. But what really hit me more was the questions that were lobbed back at me from those investors that didn't feel right, in fact, felt off-putting. Questions that were really focused more on my personal life and my family life and how I was going to eventually effectively build a business with all of my family and children around me. So as opposed to obviously what normal people would get, which is questions about how to scale the business. So it was a challenge, I would say, building those kinds of businesses. And it wasn't me only. So after building these kinds of companies and going into networking events and seeing myself as pretty much one of the very few women in the rooms, I did search out other women and said, you know, are you guys feeling the same? Are these the challenges that are only happening to me? Or is it, you know, sort of across the board? And as you can imagine, it sort of rang true for many. And so that's when I realized this has got to be a change here. And it really came down, to be honest with you, with one uh, article that I read prior to even beginning the big push that really threw me for a loop. And that was really an article that talked about that 3% of women-led businesses are backed by venture funding. And I couldn't believe that because the percentages of women building businesses are over 50%. So how could that even be? How can a, a global economy even begin to thrive in such, a, such an environment? So that's, that was striking to me. So, so 3%, I mean, that's, that's just ridiculous. It's essentially rounding down to zero. And so I would take that as a fairly systemic issue, just like walking into a room and getting a certain type of question from a certain type of investor. Now, as someone on the periphery to this, it feels and looks at least from what I can see in the market and from a lot of the efforts being presented, at least publicly by organizations, by entrepreneurs, by VCs, that things are changing. But what are some of the other systemic challenges that you think the female entrepreneur has to face beyond just walking into the room and being treated differently? What else is going on out there that's prohibitive for them? Certainly now there's a lot going on prohibitively, and we'll get into maybe the pandemic in a minute, but the big issues really are largely in caregiving. Because in the end of the day, what happens is women, everything usually falls on the lion's share of the work to women, whether it's caregiving for children or caregiving for the elderly. And in doing so, you know, it's very hard to juggle all of these things. So that's a real, uh, real big issue that has to be addressed. And more specifically, I think it has to be addressed in this pandemic because the deep inequities that are happening now are just really exacerbating the problem. 
And what's happening is women entrepreneurs are now having to make a decision because of the situation and saying, okay, well, generally speaking now, men are making more of the money. So it makes sense for them to work while they focus on dealing with what they have to deal with in front of them right now, which is the children and all of that and putting their businesses on pause, which is a big problem. So that's a major issue that needs to be addressed from a family perspective, from a government perspective, dealing with how we deal with care credits or what have you. So those are issues that need to be addressed. There are a lot of other systemic issues specifically for marginalized women entrepreneurs. So we're talking about racialized or immigrants, older entrepreneurs, rural areas, you know, you name it. There's just sort of stacked up against these situations that gets harder and harder. So why the big push? What is it that you and your team can bring to help eradicate or remove some of these issues for the the women that you're trying to help uh, as opposed to any other institution? What's your what's your secret sauce in this mix? Well, the secret sauce really is the ability to come in and do the work. And we say rolling up your sleeves and getting in there. There are many accelerators out there. There's great, this is a great ecosystem for support. So don't get me wrong. I mean, it's not all doom and gloom in that respect, even in COVID style, but um, there are great support systems. But what we really focus on is not only providing expertise, but identifying the problems and then executing to those problems. Because if you think about uh, you know, a business and an entrepreneur coming in, they have a, you know early stage startup. They can't do a million things and they can't be experts at all those things. So we identify what those problems are, whether it's, again, strategy or or product or whatever it is. And then we have those experts actually roll up their sleeves. And in the case of, say, PR, they're writing press releases and calling the media and and really executing to what they believe together. They They can bridge that gap and get them further down the path towards success. And what about your model? Because we mentioned earlier this equity element and the work that you're talking about now, how does that differ than maybe the typical accelerator? Yeah, the service for equity model came in for the purpose of bringing in people and doing a value for value exchange. So mentorship is great, but it's sort of a one-to-one, like a one, you know, mentorship is giving one person. But we have to have that value for value exchange in order to really get something out of it. And so that value that we're exchanging is uh, services to the founders and the founders in exchange provide a bit of equity for that time and service that we're giving it. So you're building it together. And so you have skin in the game. And it's really important to look at it in that respect, because then there's ownership of it. Then there's trust. And then there's accountability. There's all these layers that are there that are ensuring that these these two or three or four experts who are built in together and working together to build this company get something out of it and want to see it success. So I noticed that you know a lot of the people you surround yourself with from the perspective of your staff, your roster of mentors, advisors, a lot of the people involved in the big push are women themselves, not everyone, but it seems like a high percentage. Is that by design and you know, do you think that there's an opportunity to help educate more men by actually having more men involved? Yeah, I mean, when I first set out to build a big push, it was by design that I wanted to create a initial founding team of women that have built businesses in the past, that have a network that are large within their own industries that can provide that support to early stage startups coming in. And the reason was because we were beginning to design what these programs were, how this accelerator would function, and really identify what would these entrepreneurs really need. And so in order to do that, we needed to create essentially a safe, vulnerable, collaborative space 
where we could ask questions of them, they can answer to us and feel really confident. And because it's important to create an environment where it's not just another accelerator layering on a different program, but really understanding what is the design behind building a female-led accelerator. And so in doing so, that was really intentional. However, to your point, we have now a roster of over 600 experts across the diversity range from gender to ethnicity to across the board to backgrounds or what have you. And so it's important that we're able to draw from them and create a very diverse team when we bring them together so that we can get that diversity of voice and and experience across. Yeah, that's really critical. And obviously diversity is such a, a, a topic right now. And so take that diversity theme and say, well, you've also then had diversity of startups, of entrepreneurial ideas. Maybe highlight uh, one or two success stories. Like what are a couple of the businesses that you've really helped get through the accelerator and and are now uh, on their way to bigger things? Well, there's a couple of really great success stories. One I'd share would be one uh, that was in the healthcare space. They were building out a genomics testing personal medication technology platform. That's a big mouthful. I probably just ruined it <laughs> for them. But at any rate, they were a company of 15 people, 14 of which were geneticists. So if you can imagine that, they had no idea how to sell anything. <laughs> they had no idea how to promote anything. And so that's where we really stepped in. We came in with a team of four or five experts in the areas of you know, sales strategy, marketing, PR, finance. And we even put together an HR audit plan for them post the acceleration so that we'd know how to get them further down the path is once we leave. And in doing so, what we realized was that their real pain point, of course, was really how to sell this. And there was a great engagement with the sales strategy team and really teaching the leadership how to do B2B enterprise sales, leaving them with playbooks, engaging them, letting them know how to work with leadership and decision makers on the other end. And in the end of it, what happened was exactly what we wanted, which was obviously the increase in sales. And they were able to close a number of great contracts. And from that, we're able to lift their KPIs enough so that investors were ready to look at them in a very serious way for the next round. So that for us was a, a huge win. And we, we were able to leave knowing that we had made an impact. And of course, in that respect, that value for value exchange, the equity piece uh, that we were able to hold on to and will continue to hold on to and follow them through the trajectory of their lives. So it doesn't just end with an acceleration. It's, it's a relationship that goes on, you know, to the end of time, as it were, <laughs> or once, uh, you know, once those company exits and we move forward. So that's the exciting part. I can share another one, which was another company we focused on was in the sort of was building an online community in the culture, a culture space. And from there, we, we realized very quickly was we wanted to focus on their raise. Uh, they were at a point that we came in and we thought, you know what, they had things together. Their KPIs were there. We knew that they needed a certain amount of capital to get us to a certain place. And so we really focused on building out uh, their deal room, uh, helping them with their pitch and walking them into the rooms with of investors. So not just like literally sitting the side by side with the investors to make that smooth transition. And we're happy to say they raised over a million. So it was a great you know, win for everyone. And they're continuing to build their company and, and do success stories throughout. So yeah, those are those are great stories. But like, let's be honest, come on, nobody bats a thousand. So no. there, mu there must be some <laughs> some hiccups along the way. Maybe, you know, any of those sort of comical things gone wrong, disaster stories, you know, maybe one you can share. 
Oh God, yeah. <laughs> uh, we call them learnings, I think. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I, I reframe it as learnings. Can you share a learnings, please? <laughs> yeah, we have lots of learnings, all right. Well, I think what the biggest learnings that we found or what, when we went through this is we learned that not every company gets value from this acceleration in this form. And, and what I mean by that is that some of the companies were too early for this. And imagine bringing four or five experts into a company that doesn't have enough to hold its weight. You know, a founder is working so hard to just build a product and try to find product market fit. And for us to come at a certain stage, it really can really topple the company. It's too much pressure. It was too overwhelming. So we found that out pretty quickly that there is a stage we had to fine tune our actual, our product market fit and find out where is the company that can best get value from this type of acceleration. And the failings were that there were there were problems. I mean, the, the founder was really upset with the amount of effort that we were putting in, actually, it turned out, and vice versa. You know, we were like, why aren't they coming to the table more often? We're trying to help you guys. So it became a push and pull. But from that, you know, what came of it really was we recognized there are other programs that we need to build for earlier stages. And that's what we did. We ended up building two other programs that would help sort of drip in and help them build up until they were ready for the larger acceleration. Right. So the challenge, aka learning, actually led to something beneficial for the overall program. And then exactly. downstream, that helps other organizations because someone took the hit up front. Exactly. Yeah. So we apologize to the earlier stage <laughs> who took the hit, but uh, it's all in the learning. So you're in the space, you're seeing lots of you know businesses coming to your door, trying to become part of your ecosystem. And, and obviously, as the last example, some that maybe don't really want to be part of it, but you're exposed to a lot. And you know, one of the things I, I'm very interested in is, okay, what's hot? Like, what are the sectors and industries to sort of maybe wrap up with a bit of a tip for the, the, the wise listeners on where they should throw their magical million dollars? But what, what's happening? What's hot? What are you seeing in terms of the kinds of organizations and or verticals that are really attracting attention? right now? Well, I think right now there are so many verticals that are attracting attention because, I mean, the pandemic has thrown a loop and thrown businesses and sectors sideways. And I believe that, you know, where there's trouble, there's opportunity. So a lot of people are really building up really exciting things. But where my focus has really been, or what I'm excited about is actually the, the mental health space. And I've seen a lot of growth there. Obviously, the necessity is is obvious what we need. And it's a cross sector, it's cross industry, everybody needs it. And it's the kind of programs or sorry, uh, uh, companies that really kind of pull together care collaboration where they bring therapists and families and schools. And really there's interconnectedness where we can create these digital processes and share everybody's information. So I think that's really important to have in order for us to really move forward. This pandemic is just, you know, a certain circumstance that I know will have eventual end, but the mental health space will continue forever. And this is going to be really supportive of it. So I've been looking in that area uh, a lot. And there's some really great companies in the space. There's a company called Wellbe. I don't know if you're familiar with the company, but it's more in the elderly uh, space, creating recreational programming. And so if you can think about a timely thing to, to focus on helping the elderly in their isolation and their alienation at this time, it's really uh, an exciting time. She's a great f- female founder, very diverse team. So I think, uh, I think good things will come. Yeah, it sounds very, very timely, very topical, but, you know, even beyond the current situation, the, the kind of business that, that just has longevity. And, and I guess that's really, you know, part of the, the secret is as you see more and more, you also get smarter as an advisor and an investor in terms of, you know, where the potential hits are going to be, both from the business owner and entrepreneur, but as well as ultimately the market and the customer, right? Because it is a full ecosystem. And I think it's, it's interesting when you think about the female-led entrepreneurial business, do you see that that 
is taken into consideration a little more? Do you find any more alignment to businesses that are maybe more holistic in their approach to the environment or to culture or to being more sensitive to other areas than just making a profit? Is, is that something that stands out? It does, I think. I think, again, you know, we have seen trajectory. We have, the narrative has changed a little bit and people are recognizing that we do need more than just, we need fact and empathy into get together. We need to be able to marry those two. And I think a lot of what we've seen right now, especially especially in our time, again, reflecting on this pandemic, people are looking for social enterprises and being able to really connect with one another and finding ways in which that we can make this world a better place. I mean, without sounding so cliche, there is there is realness in that. So last question, there's going to inevitably be a female listening to this podcast. She's got a great idea. When's the right time to call you? What is the the sort of pivot point of saying something like an accelerator like the big push is actually the right time for me to, to consider? You know, I would say, and because we have those earlier programs as well to support, come in as early as you as you can. We do look at companies that are beyond the idea stage. So you should have something of an MVP at least. Doesn't have to have revenue, maybe some, you know, customer pickup, but not even so. Just something that you have a strong build towards and you really want some direction, whether it's even networking and, and so forth. So we welcome that at any point. And of course I'm really open to just having those conversations, even if you're not at that stage, you know, shooting me an email and just saying, hey, how do I get to <laughs> this place or, you know, with this network or that network, I'm always there to, to be supportive of that. Well, I'm sure that's appreciated by by many people. So again, Sharon Zohar, the founder and CEO of The Big Push, which is a accelerator for women entrepreneurs. And it's, you know, you've done some great work. You've helped some great entrepreneurs. You've built some great companies. And I really appreciate you spending some time with me today. Thanks so much, Corby. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks, Sharon. Take care. listening to Fine Tune. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can connect with me on Twitter at CFine, through LinkedIn at CorbyFine, or visit my website, CorbyFine.com. Fine Tune is produced by me, Corby Fine. Thanks for listening.